0: And you can become part of our Discord community. Learn more about the show and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com.
1: So thank you everybody for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Man. I know. That's too bad. Do you know Kelly Rippa is 44 years old today? Kelly Rippa.
0: Uh, I didn't know that.
1: 44. Sting is 63.
0: Can we somehow tie all that into Saw and its anniversary?
1: No, but I. <laughs> whenever I think of Sting, do you know what I think of? I think that he's 63 years old and he's been in a continuous orgasm for 44 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oddly, as long as Kelly Ripp has been around. What, what does that mean? <laughs>
1: wow i see now even i didn't go there i didn't think about that i just it was a number that popped into my head i was just thinking about the tantric his whole tantric thing but uh you don't know about that no no well maybe you need a little therapy (laughs) maybe i maybe i need to investigate more in sting's life (laughs) he's he's out and and quite proud of his tantric uh tantric sexual relationships with his with his wife (laughs) Not Kelly Ripa. <laughs> Not with Kelly Ripa, no. <laughs> no. All right. Oh my. Hey, uh, how are you? Are you feeling good this week? It's been a busy week. You know,
0: our uh documentary, The Joe Show, goes uh starts its theatrical premiere on uh, tomorrow, Friday. So wait a
1: minute. Did I know this? I don't know. Can I now see it? Is now it you here? Do? Is it's it here? Not, Can I see
0: it? It's not in Oregon, no.
1: So you're the be... producer, right? And you couldn't set. Like, how long have we been doing this show? How long have we been friends? <laughs> and you couldn't hook Portland up with a single theater?
0: I know. I, I, just, I failed you, man. Jeez. Failed you.
1: All right, so what are you going to do to make good? <laughs> I need to make good. What are you going to do?
0: <laughs> Tell you what. Just for you, next month, I'll yeah. have it up on Discovery ID for you. How's oh, that? See,
1: I'm not a subscriber of that. Will I will I have to pay something? Will some will I need a subscription <laughs> to something? So you're gonna you set what. it up for me? For just, me and only me, and I have to subscribe to some for cockta cable thing?
0: Tell you what, just for you. Real generous. This is, this is only because I love you, man. In December, just in time for Christmas. Uh huh. I'll have it out digitally where you can download it on iTunes.
1: Oh, just in time for Christmas. Great. One of your closest friends, been doing a podcast for years, and I have to wait till Christmas. No theatrical. I'll be, I'll be, uh, I, what if I'm traveling?
0: And you know what? It's in Dolby Atmos, so you're really going to miss it out. It is not.
1: You liar. Uh,
0: no, that'd be kind of a, a, waste, would be of a waste
1: of Atmos. waste of Atmos. It's IMAX 3D Atmos documentary about Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Oh, just what everyone wants to see. Yeah, I think he would go for it for sure. Hey, listen, who is in control of putting the trailer and the artwork for the film on Fandango? Because I will note, it's not there. And I have just hearted the Joe show. I've added it to my movies. It's not there. I I don't know. That's a good question. Again, you you your function on this is what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> clearly,
0: <laughs> clearly not the person who
1: deals with Fandango. <laughs> <laughs> Minions. Uh, hey, congratulations uh, uh, on that, Andy. That's fantastic. Actually, yes. that that really is great. I know it's a long time coming to get it to theaters, and and, yeah. and one step closer to getting it in my house again. So <laughs> exactly one step closer. Uh-huh.
0: So, um, anyone who's interested can go to joeshowdoc.com to learn Joe, more.
1: jo Show, let's see if you're right. Doc.com. <laughs> you're right. It's there. <laughs> Phew. Don't worry about I it. I got one thing the right. Site, the site's up. <laughs> uh, oh, and it crashed. Kidding. Oh. Kidding. It's there. Ew, a, lot it, a... a lot of pink. A lot of pink. Yes, Joe in
0: his pink underwear, you know, it's a weird thing.
1: I notice you've retoned the stripes of uh, the American flag pink. Yes. What was the creative decision behind that? Do you ruffle any feathers by doing that? I don't know. You t- and, yeah, what? it's you've tainted the the uh, red, white and pink. No, the pink, white and blue. <laughs> it's still <laughs>
0: Oh. Way to go there.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm very patriotic. <laughs> Uh, Let's tell the people where we're from, shall we? Yeah, where are we from? Please stop the madness. (laughs) The sweet release of the credits. It's The Next Reel. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. My name's Pete Wright. That there is Andy Nelson. Hey! And we spoil movies. We sure thank you for showing up and allowing us to spoil movies for you. You can learn more about the show at thenextreel.com. You can join the conversation at Facebook uh, or Twitter or uh, or even uh, Google+. Plus, or I'm going to say it out loud, co. Mm. Yeah, don't don't go so there. You, you it's gotta, hello, hello, Gabda. <laughs> hello, Did you? You didn't. I noted you didn't even ask me for an invitation. No, I, no. I haven't. I'm not ready for that. You I'm not were, ready. Let me tell you, <laughs> You are totally not ready for that.
0: I can barely handle Twitter. Uh, <laughs>
1: uh, well, it's, you can find me on Lo. I'm playing with it a little bit. If you're if you're on Lo, this new experimental, uh, you know, high school social network project. Which is is probably demeaning, possibly to high schools. Um, You should uh, you should check me out on there. I'm just at Pete right there, and so come come join the conversation. Let's see if it's worth sticking around. Lo, see if it's worth Andy joining. Lo, let's say that. Uh, Thank you, (laughs) Uh, thank you. uh, Before we jump too far ahead, to everybody who has jumped in and commented and shared us uh, shared with us their thoughts. Uh, uh, The most important uh, news, uh, Alicia Warfield, friend of the show. Love you, Alicia. Uh, actually stared me straight into some fantastic triangle glasses with (laughs) angular stems which totally throw my sense of balance and and, frankly judgment off Uh, so I will be buying some of those Uh, and uh, we have uh, Twitter was the home of requests from abroad this week Oh yes yes, we did We had uh, we, we uh, had some comments from uh, the good and kindly Martin T- well, I, now I I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. I'm gonna try it. you tell me what you think. Martin Tilquist Sounds
0: pretty good to me, yeah. So
1: uh, Martin suggests that we uh, jump into some P.T. Anderson movies uh, and some Wes Anderson films. So he says uh, P.T. Anderson is one of his very favorite directors. And uh, obviously shocked we have done no Wes Anderson films. And we have talked about P.T. Anderson and Wes Anderson in, uh, out of context in passing over the years. But we have never done any films. Why is that, please, Dr. Doctor uh, Nelson?
0: Uh, you know, uh, accident, accident. <laughs> I'm not quite sure, but we have <laughs> talked about them. We, you know, it's one of those things that we we definitely have on our radar. And uh, you know, with all these Andersons, it definitely seems like uh, we could find a way to make an Anderson.
1: It seems like it. Anderson series. We're going to do the Anderson series.
0: Yeah, we'll have to throw in some uh, of the other Paul Anderson.
1: Yes, and the Matrix again. Mister Anderson. Mister Anderson. That's right. <laughs> well That's done. Right. Well played. Yes. Uh, and so thank you very much, uh, Martin, for jo- for uh, jumping in the conversation. We really appreciate not only that, but the suggestions of, A, uh, the uh, uh, Christopher, Christopher Triumph podcast, uh, which is an international film podcast he recommends that we all check out. Uh, and uh, uh, let's see, there's some other, uh, he, he recommends a lot of cool uh, Danish and swish, uh, Swiss, Swiss, Swiss. <laughs> Danish and Swish. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> I'm a hot Danish mess. And Swiss. <laughs> <Danish and> sp- <laughs> Oh, going to be a night, going to be a night. Uh, So we are going to check that out, particularly uh, Lucas Moodison. Uh, There there are lots of great recommendations in the feed there. So uh, definitely thank you very much. And thank you uh, again to Diego Luis Contreras, uh, writing in from Spain. Uh, So glad you discovered this show. Thank you so much for checking us out and for sticking with us. Yes, you have a lot to hear from us. If you've started from the beginning, we'll catch you in about two and a half years when you actually reach this episode. And we'll still be grateful for your uh, participation.
0: Grateful now, grateful forever. Grateful forever.
1: So uh, what does that mean? That means
0: all of those people and anyone else who comments on any of our boards that uh, that we uh, managed to track down are all going to be entered in our listener's choice drawing, which we're going to be having here in a few weeks.
1: Oh. And,
0: and that person who uh, does get picked is going to get to pick a movie that we're going to talk about in early November.
1: Uh, I hope everybody's thinking about it. We have had really good luck with these we things. So we two really two. have. Two for two. So, uh, you know, the pressure's on. Don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now I think it's important that we turn to, uh, you know, well, certainly why I show up, uh, this week's Pony Prize, guess the movie, Instagram, Andy versus the people challenge. How'd we do this week? This was good. And it was Steven versus the people this Steven, week. Steven is,
0: I see you guys keep messing I with know, me. I we, know. We like to, we get to play with your head a little Standy
1: bit. Standy versus the people. <laughs> Standy. Andon, Andan.
0: Andan not quite as good uh you know it was a uh it was a tough week for people especially considering that this was a a fairly uh recent film enemy uh, the uh the na- latest uh denis villeneuve film uh with uh with good old jake gyllenhaal and uh it uh it really took people a little bit of time to figure out what it was but in the end soda pop rocker Came through and figured it out right toward the end there. Uh, I think day day six. He he finally uh was able to figure out what this these crazy images were from. He got it, and now Soda Pop Rocker is entered
1: to win the Pony Prize. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Congratulations, Soda Pop Rocker. Thank you so much for playing. Keep coming back. Keep uh, you know, next week. School the Standees. That's right. <laughs> You like that, don't you? It's growing on you already. Yeah. yes standees. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, let's do trailers. I, yeah, I was going to do a trailer that uh, apparently I haven't seen, but apparently it's out. Have you heard of this uh, Space Station 76? Yeah,
0: I have, actually. I, I heard about that quite a while ago when it was uh, playing at one of the uh, film festivals. I can't remember which one. but Has it
1: hit uh, wide release? I I have not heard of it. I thought it was like a new trailer. I'd never even heard of it, never saw it. And then I checked IMDb, and it it apparently was released in March of 2014.
0: Yeah, it was, um, gosh, I can't remember what festival it played. It was South by Southwest uh, earlier Hmm. in the year, yeah.
1: Well, it looked funny uh, to me, so I went ahead and put the kibosh on that one. mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it was stupid, I don't know. But I was kind of in the mood for sort of a space ballsy sort of a space ballsy, uh, <laughs> wookie, kind of slapsticky sort of thing. And uh, I didn't do that. But instead, in honor of Martin Tielquist, uh, I am choosing a Paul Thomas Anderson trailer, Inherent Vice, coming out January 9th, 2015. Uh, it looks, this is, I think, our kind of movie right here. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Reese Witherspoon, Th- Jenna Malone, Joaquin Phoenix, Josh Brolin, Sasha Piet. Tears, Owen Wilson, Benicio del Toro, Michael Kenneth Williams, Eric Roberts, Maya Rudolph, Wilson Bethel, Martin Short. Amen. It, the cast just keeps going on. And in 1970, drug-fueled Los Angeles detective Larry Doc Sportello investigates the disappearance of a former girlfriend. It looks crazy. Uh, and I, like many uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films, I'm very excited to see this movie. The, the goofball factor is very high. And, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix I find super compelling, as weird as that guy gets.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Man, I like watching him on screen.
0: He is a trip. And he is the, such a trip. The fact that he comes into this one looking like Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he loses the
1: huge beard and comes in with the chops. It's yep. a nice nice play. I like it. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's going to be interesting to see uh, this film. I hope that it, uh, it does well. I'm guessing it's going to because it's uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, but, you know, I still there's this quirky quality to it that does make me a little nervous uh you know uh, some, i i don't want it to fall into Ridley scott's uh, the counselor territory
1: no that would be a mistake <laughs> that would be a bad, mistake.
0: bad direction to go that would yeah. be a bad direction so no, i i really I... I really do have high hopes for this because i mean everything about it looks uh funny clever quirky uh you know just the the kind of the the tone of it the uh just the vibe, everything. Just
1: there is. There's a funny vibe to it that sort of takes me back to Boogie Nights, uh, kind of a thing, but but funnier. Uh, Boogie Nights got a lot of had a lot of its vibe determined by the the topic by the content, uh, and and this one it seems like it's just uh, it, it's naturally more comedic. Um, But he has it's there are a lot of his big films tend to be pretty deep. I mean, uh, pretty serious. The Master, there will be blood like this is he doesn't tend to truck in comedy. No. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how this how this plays out. I'm very excited to see it. I think it looks really uh, it looks wonderful. It is. uh, It's not a comedy. It's it is really pitched as a crime drama mystery, but still looks pretty funny
0: they seem to emphasize the comedy in yeah. the trailer it looks very just kind of that quirky comedy so yeah, yeah.
1: so that's it january ninth, 2014 2015 mark your calendars go see this movie
0: does that make you nervous that it's a january
1: january release it does i'm i'm panicking about every crossover right now october i'm freaking out it's, it should <laughs> still be february i'm not ready for 2015 <laughs> <laughs> it's coming yeah
0: well what do you got I'll, Oddly enough, my movie also opens in January next year. The, uh, you know, yours I I like to think will not be in the dumping ground of January. This one I have a little bit of a fear that it is going to be relegated to the dumping ground of January. Uh, but at the same time, I did quite enjoy the trailer, and I I do have high hopes, even though I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to live up to any of them. This is the new adventure thriller Black Sea. Uh, including the uh, the wonderful Jude Law, who plays a submarine captain who uh, pairs up with a bunch of buddies who uh, go looking for this sunken uh, Nazi U-boat in the Black Sea that uh, supposedly has a bunch of gold on it, and they're going to make off with the gold and be rich. And, of course, as uh, these things are uh, prone to happen, everybody on board realizes that the fewer people that make it back that means they each get that much more gold in the end. And so, you know,
1: things don't go very well down there. I always there. wonder why it takes people so long to figure that out. I know, I know. Don't know, we're a team. That's <laughs> not. It's not a little submarine utopia down no. there. <laughs> and there's no it's utopia just... beneath the sea. Not Cold, at all. dark, death. Yes. Yeah. They've never seen any other submarine film
0: they should know by they now
1: they totally know by you now they really should know but
0: you know i i do have I, I i do have hopes for this i mean uh kevin mcdonald is directing it he did the last king of scotland which i really enjoyed um but then he also did state of play which i you know i thought was fairly average middling entertainment
1: wait a minute which uh, one was that was that with the uh, driver that was the, the
0: very uh, no, there's a very forgettable one with uh, uh, Russell Crowe and, and Ben Affleck. Oh, no, yeah. Russell Crowe's the reporter.
1: Yeah, I, I liked that one, but I thought it wanted to be more than it was.
0: Yeah, I liked it, and then I walked out of the theater, and I go,
1: what happened in that movie
0: again? I don't remember. It was one of those movies. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, he came out of documentaries. He did some really interesting documentaries, uh, you know, a brief history of uh, Errol Morris. He did Touching the Void. Um, one day in September, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things, and, um, and then he kind of transitioned with the Last King of Scotland into uh, uh, narrative films, and that one I think is the strongest. I never saw the Eagle, which looked like an, it was an mm. early Channing Tatum film that I heard was interesting, but I never.
1: Yeah, I never saw that either. But the Last yeah. King of Scotland is a big fave for me. Yeah, I really absolutely. like. Absolutely.
0: So you know, I want to like it. I want him to make this great submarine thriller, and uh, you know. I'm excited to see it I hope it can hold up I hope it isn't just a January dumping ground movie That is instantly forgettable So, so that's the trailer
1: Alright nice pick Nice pick Alright Andy It's time for me to tell you how you're gonna die
0: If the future were in your hands The screaming
1: The house is burning Would you change it? It's not too late. Touch this man's hand and you are in the grip of the dead zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. With a power that alters the future lives of those you love.
0: You want to kill your own son?
1: I want you out of here.
0: I'm scared, Dad.
1: Or of those you fear. I have had a vision that I am going to be president of the United States someday. I mean nobody gonna stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me You're a devil. Send it for me. Who are you? Who sent you? I'm scared, sir. Not only can you see the future, I can change it. I was there, I saw it. Put your hand on the scanning screen and you'll go down in history with me. I saw his face. I stood there. I did nothing. She's Stephen King, The Dead Zone. And we're taking on The Dead Zone, 1983, uh, David Cronenberg film with the young and handsome Tom Skerritt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know Tom Skerritt. I don't know that he was ever young and handsome. Even in like Alien, he was not young, and he's he's always been the rugged small town police chief, right?
0: Yeah, that's that does seem to be kind of his <laughs> lot in guy. life.
1: <laughs> Film stars Christopher Walken as the unlucky Johnny Smith, who is a uh, he's a young uh, young school teacher in love with the lovely Brooke Adams. And he gets in a car wreck with a uh, with a looks like a like some sort of a gasoline truck made of uh, tin can. (laughs) And uh, and he wakes up five years later and has the power to touch people and find out uh, when they're going to die, when their friends are going to die, when their loved ones are going to He can tell the future, but only the really bad stuff. Right. It's tough. That's a curse. It is how really the movie sucks. Hold, how did how did it hold up for you this uh, this is the, I should say this is part of our Stephen King series uh, based on the book The Dead Zone uh, which was released uh, just a scant uh, four years before the movie came out so 1979 so so now how how did it hold up for you how do you feel about it This is a
0: this is one of the Stephen King movies that I, I definitely never read this book. And, uh, I saw this movie much later in my life. Um, I mean, not much later. I mean, it was probably high school or college when I finally caught up with this one and I've always liked it, but it's one of those ones that I, I kind of see it and then I forget it and I go, what was that one again? Okay, yeah, it's Christopher Walken, and he can touch people and stuff, and and see what's going to happen. And there's moments that I remember, like you know him sitting in the burning bed, and the kids under the ice. Uh, but it's it kind of fades away from me quickly, and I don't know why. I do like the movie, but it's um, I, and maybe it's because the 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 way that the story is told feels very episodic. I, I just never really get connected with the story.
1: Episodic and wildly dated this this film did not age well and it's not even so much the film or the story that didn't age well and i think that's proof uh, that's proved out when you uh, when you start watching uh, anthony michael hall's take as johnny smith in the television series which which ran for some time and was quite popular um, you know even though it was it was on i think it was was it fx i think i'm not uh, i'm not sure but it was on you know and i never really binged the dead zone but it ran for 6 years and and um it it was it, it garnered quite a following. And I think uh, Anthony Michael Hall, as a grown-up, uh, played the role very, very well. Um, it really lent itself to that sort of episodic feel. Um, this just, uh, maybe it was great in 1983. Maybe it was. Maybe it, the performances are what I would have expected in 1983. Instead, I found them just sort of jarring and stayed and, um, just generally unbelievable. Even, you know, uh, Christopher Walken that I feel, you know, I generally like very much and his wackiness sort of that comes out in his later career. Um, you, you know, I mean, his, his just kind of unnatural sense of grace. Uh, I, I don't think we get to see here. Um, you know, here he was a young actor playing a role and I, I really could could feel that. Uh, Brooke Adams, uh, I, I did not find uh, particularly compelling as the ex-love interest. The only one that I really enjoyed, which I thought was ironic, was, uh, well, not that I enjoyed him, but his role was ironic. Martin Sheen as the young senator, um, you know, going on to play jeb bartlett in in the west wing as the president so it feels like his career is sort of bookended by roles as presidents and senators and i thought that was fun Um, (laughs) that that was pretty comical yeah that was nice so but generally i found i you know i'm with you i I think you described it really well it's a it is not a memorable film i would ask you of this film do you ever remember the end
0: like when you think about it I, I mean, I, I do remember, like, I, that's another of the moments that I always remember is is Martin Sheen holding up the, the kid. And so, you know, it, it's, it's. but it's just those kind of moments that, um, I mean, and I, I I think I may like it a little more than you do, but I just forget about it right away, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can enjoy the movie while I'm watching it. I mean, I, I guess I don't have a huge problem with the performances. I don't have a real problem with the, the datedness of it. But it's, it is just, it, I don't know, it's just weirdly forgettable. And I I don't know if it's a, a tonal thing because it was kind of a different type of story that Stephen King was telling. Um, but uh, because it definitely in his uh, kind of the, the work that he had been doing up to that time there, uh, I mean, yes, there's that kind of supernatural element of a a person who gains the psychic ability after this this accident and coma who then can see people's future and everything but uh, but it ends up feeling much more like a drama it's an interesting tone to this film that um, doesn't doesn't have that horror vibe from either Stephen King or David Cronenberg both of whom I think had much more of a horror bent at that period of time in their careers. And so this one does come across feeling very uh a lot more dramatic. And I don't know if it's it's that the the pacing with it also that just kind of slows it down and makes it like okay, I I I I, I can see where we're going. You know, we've got okay, we've got this little episode with uh, you know, the the girl in the house burning, and then we've got, you know, then we've got the killer and then we've got the Uh, the politician it's like it just kind of goes from one thing to the next and i never feel like there's progression for him or or anything it's just you know one case to solve after the other and that's i think that's exactly what you said is is right why the tv show concept for this worked so well because by nature these episodes work well in the land of tv and it was the usa network by the way
1: usa network okay yeah yeah well, another reason, sort of just further up the dial uh you know in two thousand, where you know it it garnered quite a a, a passable uh, uh, you know passable audience uh, and uh and I think it makes more sense as a as a television series it's one of those funny things about stephen king's work like there there are so many of his books that I think do make better television, some obviously don't but um uh, you know the shining is not is a, a good example, I think, but, um uh, mm-hmm. in any case, um, but what's your take on Christopher Walken though, as a, you know, in the lead role, uh, you know, I guess I don't have
0: too many problems with him. It, it just, again, it's just like, it, it doesn't really stand out to me as, uh, you know, any major role in Walken's career as one that, uh, stands out for me as a, as a key one. Um, it works. I mean, I enjoy it. I think, um, I, 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 you know, there's something kind of Walken always has that kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, kind of slightly out of step, the sense about him. And, uh, and so I think that works well after the accident beforehand. It's, you know, I, you know, he, he doesn't, it's, there's something weird about just kind of just seeing him as kind of a normal guy. <laughs> I don't know. And like sitting in the classroom reading The Raven, I don't know. I couldn't help but laugh knowing that years later he would actually have a version of him reading The Raven that's out on CD where you can listen to Christopher Walken reading The Raven. Um, And I I really enjoy listening to him reading The Raven, but I I can't help but think about that when I see that scene. It's just like, you know,
1: it's, it's
0: it's almost like Walken playing Walken you know (laughs) something
1: weird about well and it's weird because he really in his as he ages has become a caricature of himself yeah he just he just gets weirder and weirder exactly
0: right so and this is kind of the early stages of that
1: yeah yeah the birth of weird yes uh but but you know i like i said i do like him it's weird to see him with a love interest uh because he just keeps getting weirder and i know him more as sort of the guy who doesn't Generally, have the love interest or at least a normal love interest in his films, and so, you know, that's interesting. I, um, I find, uh, you know, um, he he just he just doesn't 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 hold the the role for me.
0: Well, it's and the thing about was. the love interest, at least at least that goes away. I mean, he yeah. he kind of he kind of clings to that, but at least Brooke Adams kind of fades in and out of the story. I mean, I I don't have a problem with Brooke Adams. I actually think um, if, if I were to pick a Brooke Adams performance in the uh, in this kind of 70s 80s I, I would probably gravitate to the uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake because right. I really like her in that one this one it's just like eh, okay I mean and that's how I feel about so much of the film eh, okay, you know, yeah okay it it does its job it's I you know I don't think it's one of Cronenberg's best films I don't think it's one of Stephen King's best stories uh, it's not one of Walken's best films but it's very passable I mean I, I can enjoy it and
1: And move past it What's interesting about it is This is another one of those films And I think it's pretty rare That we run across these At least for for me Where I really feel This one is ripe for a remake You know, they're not going to bring the television show back and ran for six years, let it be a classic. But I, you know, I think 1983 is long enough for a film like this. I think somebody could come back in and make a nice, taut thriller uh, that gives us a little bit more of the the spook factor. That's one of the things I really wanted out of this. I I think it may be a case where the effects, uh, the the cinematography, which in this film was not particularly earth-shattering from Mark Irwin, uh, that... Just the way they move the camera was not to the to a sophisticated enough uh, point that they could really capture what it's like for him to see these really horrible things, you know. And it made me think of Brainstorm because I, you know, that was a film I I really liked. Uh, you know, when we talk about Christopher Walken in particular, um, the uh, you know what they did there when they actually send you into the brain uh, into these kind of recorded visions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found really compelling and, uh, and I, I feel like I can't actually remember, uh, that, I think that was Douglas Trimble, right? That was 1983. That was, so that, that was released the same year and they ended up capturing a, I think, really fascinating, um, way of moving through, um, psychic trauma visually in a way that I, I think was, was compelling, at the time, yeah, I at the time, wouldn't
0: recommend going back and watching it again,
1: oh, come on <laughs> i actually I, this is one i I watch fairly frequently I think you're being oh, you're, really? you're being a little hard on it. I actually well, really I, quite like this film, I think you know it's natalie Wood's last film, Louise Fletcher, I mean there just i I thought it was a I, I really enjoyed this film, This may be I need to put this on my guilty pleasure list for this year
0: well, it could be because I mean, yeah, because you clearly saw that that when you were at an age to see it and and you know pull something out of it i saw this like you know, five years ago or something and that was my first time watching it and and it just it was a, it was for me it was a dated experience
1: oh okay more dated than this yeah equally dated.
0: Effect. i think because of the effects that to me made it seem a little more dated they
1: used but... that big tape though it wasn't that <laughs> great <laughs> Those giant reels. Big tape. Uh, it's all you need to record the brain. <laughs> that's right. But you get what I'm saying, though. I mean, this is one of those things where clearly there have been better examples of it, even maybe strange days. You know, as, as little as we both liked strange days, um, <clears throat> there is well, this sense of, of being able to use, use that, that leap uh, into the brain uh, and, and do so in a way that's visually interesting.
0: Well, and also, on top of that, because I, I definitely agree with you, I think there's something that they could do to really bring that, uh, the you know, of this actual dead zone, the title of the film, to life better. I mean, the way that they talk about the actual dead zone, and I, I don't yeah, know, it's right. like, eh, okay, so the dead zone is, you know, he goes to this place where he sees these visions, um, but the people aren't necessarily dead. He could still potentially change it, so it's The Dead Zone. But I don't know. There's something about the title that I, I find much more interesting in the actual title than in the way that they describe it. And I feel like someone could now find a way to actually create that where it, there's, I don't know, there's there's more to it, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so, too, because what's it? describe The Dead Zone as they
0: describe it. Well, I think it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty simplistic. It's just, you know, he... He goes into this vision and he uh, he sees something happening, but he doesn't really see himself there. So he's so, uh, but he so he gets a sense that he can. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, so he can potentially change it. I think is basically yeah. it right.
1: Yeah, that's my that's my understanding of it. It's it's. I was my son saw the album art. It was up on my screen as I was preparing for this. You know, he's eight, and he says, "Dead zone. What's that? Sounds awesome." <laughs> and I t- I tell him, yeah, it really is. It's like when we're on a call on the in the car, you know, we're in the car and we're driving over Sylvan Hill, you know, you know Sylvan Hill. Yeah, yeah, I know Sylvan Hill. That's where's you know, that's where he sometimes gets a treat. There's a Starbucks there, and sometimes we go <laughs> and get him a chocolate milk when he's particularly charming. And we always lose cell calls there. So that's a dead zone. He says, and he looks at me. and He says, they made a movie about that. I said pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, that's what they did. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. So I, you know, it's a sense of of having, and I like, you know, I like the intention here. And I also did not read the book. I'd be curious to see um, how they handled this, but I like the intention of here's a guy with this powerful psychic ability, and yet there is this way, uh, this place where he goes, where he doesn't have complete control of it. Right? That's his. That's the weakness of his power. Right. And that was, as you say. Wholly unexplored in this film, I think it was just an unexploited benefit of his powers that I don't think they they particularly uh, explored well enough. And maybe that's a case of they're just not good enough in the '80s to our expectations today of telling these sort of superhero esque origin stories.
0: That could be. I mean, you know, we could be suffering from superheroitis. Uh, nowadays where we're so used to these origin stories and, and getting a much more interesting, compelling explanation of things. And, you know, I don't know if it's fair to pin that to this film. Um, but it certainly, it certainly could suffer from that.
1: I I think there's some there's something to it. I think there's something to it. Yeah. We're we're going to be unnecessarily hard on the film.
0: Yeah. Something else that I think I was actually reading. I, I read kind of the the, the kind of a, a synopsis of the book to try to get a sense of what the real difference is between. The film and the book, because I heard, you know, in the process of writing the script, they ended up kind of uh, tweaking the script quite a bit. Uh, You know, a couple different people had come in to write the script. Um, uh, You know, uh, uh, I think Jeffrey Boehm, who had originally, uh, he had actually originally wrote it when he was developing it for Stanley Donen, which seems like a very strange directing choice for this film. He had done. Uh, uh, Why am I blanking on it the uh, singing in the rain, right? Uh, You know, it's just like, you know It doesn't seem to fit anyway He left and then Stephen King adapted it uh, when Dino de De Laurentiis uh, wanted him to but nobody liked that version a couple other people uh, Andrei Konchalovsky I heard that ended up being like five different versions five different people writing the script and they went with Jeffrey Boehm's script and he Removed. There's this whole parallel storyline in the book. And reading through this plot synopsis makes me feel like I think that there could be something with what they took out of the script that I would actually want to see. They had this parallel storyline going on where right at the beginning of the book, you meet young Johnny. And he starts at a young age having some strange experiences. Like he gets knocked unconscious. He um, has a big lump on his head. He mumbles this message. Uh, don't jump it no more. That he later finds out um, you know, is there's this adult that he says it to who gets hurt while he's trying to jump start a car, and um, so we meet him at a young age, and then we meet a young Greg Stilson, the politician, at a young age. And throughout the book, you end up having this parallel story between Johnny, as he kind of grows and becomes, uh, you know, who he is, and and goes into the coma and gets this dead zone and all that sort of stuff, and Stilson, as he journeys on his political path to becoming this uh, this great political leader, albeit a very corrupt one, and uh, and then eventually those two cross, uh, paths cross and. I don't know. I, I don't know if if the story would work better or worse with that in there, but I do find it compelling to read that, and I'm like, at least that's something that I feel like would give me a a fuller story to latch onto, rather than this episodic, uh, you know. Let's solve this person's problems, and then this person's problems, and then this person's problems. Type of story.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And something that that may have been a little bit more of an audacious uh, screenplay and an audacious film um, to to take on something just slightly more epic. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know, I don't know why they why they shied away from that. When I look at, you know, what what Cronenberg was doing at the time. I mean, coming off of. What, uh, you know, just looking through IMDb, Rabid Fast Company, The Brood in the late 70s, to Scanners in 81, Videodrome in 83. I hardly remember Videodrome. What even was that was weird film? one. It was James Woods. Yeah, that was the one Debbie where he like,
0: sticks his head into the TV and has the video tape in his chest or whatever. It was, it was a weird one.
1: Yeah, that is a weird one. But then he does The Dead Zone, which is, which is sort of not weird enough, given where he was. And he goes back in to do The Fly, of course, which was... Uh, I, I think fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's one of my favorites of his.
1: Yeah, it really is. And and you can see over the course of his career, uh, you know, he has become more of a sophisticated director. I think as he moves through his his career to you know more recently, you look at Cosmopolis, and and we've talked recently about Maps to the Stars, um, I, and and another one I think you didn't like as much, A History of Violence, right? No,
0: I like I like, like, that, I like uh, that and uh, and. Uh... Um, what was the one that, uh, the other one that he did with, uh, Eastern, Eastern Promises? Promises. Yeah. yeah. Those two I thought were pretty compelling films. Yeah.
1: You didn't like Crash though, right?
0: Crash was just a weird film. It was a very strange story, yeah. you know, and the fact that it was kind of somewhat loosely based on, uh, Ballard's own life, I thought was also kind of weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that but, hey, a little bit weird.
0: Some people do weird things. You're more than welcome to do those weird things.
1: <laughs> what was the one that Maggie Gyllenhaal was in? Was it Secretary? Did you see that one?
0: Yeah, but that wasn't
1: his. No, I know. Oh, I know. But you just you know, when people say weird things and then I think about Holly Hunter and Yeah. And and I think, Oh, yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal did something weird too. I liked that movie quite a that bit. It was a though. crazy movie. It was pretty crazy. Very crazy. Anyway, so you could tell he's, uh, you can just sort of see how he's matured his weirdness. And as he's been given more money to do kind of larger films, he's, you know, he's made some some more interesting films. But for some reason, the dead zone is a weird dead zone for me in looking at his films. It's like doesn't fit. It's like not weird enough. It's not compelling enough. It's not like audacious enough. Um, it, It doesn't tell enough. And maybe that's a function of having too many hands in the script. Maybe they just didn't get a good adaptation. And that's, you know, as, as you say, maybe they just are missing a whole part of the story that would have made it something really special.
0: Yeah, yeah, that could be. I mean, there is an interesting nature of kind of something, I think, uh, I don't know if it was intentionally explored politically by Stephen King in the novel, or if it's something that Cronenberg and Jeffrey Boehm were really trying to bring out in their script, but the idea of uh, like a political assassination at the end of the story, and how we are on the side of the assassin and become we essentially become a part of the assassination and we essentially want him to assassinate this guy because we buy into this but everybody else in the story uh is going to think that this is just somebody killing the next great leader and i find that a very interesting aspect of the story that i i can't help but wish that was explored in a in a bigger way to make it kind of stand out a little more because I I, you know I really like that idea of us being on the side of the assassin in this situation um, and looking at it from that perspective when normally that's the that's the perspective we really don't you know we don't want to look at you know
1: well, the film sort of has to earn it, don't you think? I mean, the films yeah. where we feel best about falling in love with the antihero, you know, or falling in love with the hero who's, who's out of sync is, you know, they're the films that actually build the case where you end up, you have to feel bad. I never right. felt bad. The whole time they built a case for how bad, um, you know, uh, Stilson. Stilson was, of course, we knew he was bad. Like, they, we, we knew he was bad so early because he just smelt smarmy. Like Mm -hmm. we just knew it. Uh, that there was never a point of turn where you you have that emotional switch where you think oh my gosh this is where our hero is being called to his solemn duty and now I get it i didn't get it before this moment but now I get it and you sort of get that sense in this film that they wanted you to get it when they show the the premonition of him in the room with the vice president actually putting their hands on the briefcase scanner to launch the nukes right and and so that that you get the feeling that it just didn't build up to enough intensity because we already knew it was coming. Yeah. It's right. like, no, I, I haven't seen it, but I've seen it.
0: Right, right. Yeah, you get a sense right away that this is just a corrupt politician. It's like right. and, and that's uh I don't know, the nature of the story, I guess, but uh it there could have been a way to make that much stronger. And that's that is one of the unfortunate elements of it, but
1: mm, I think so. Yeah. I think so too. Uh who else stands out? You know, I've already uh, slammed the cinematography a little bit. I just you know, feel sort of uninspired. But are there any other uh, you know, do you have any any take on Mark Irwin's work here or Not
0: really. Um, I mean, I, I I agree with you for the most part. I think uh you know, the the two elements that stand out more for me is the production design, uh Carol Spear and Barbara Dumphy as the art director. I I do like the production design in this. I think there's uh a nice cold look all the way through i mean they shot this up in in toronto in i guess it was a winter that uh that got progressively colder as they shot so by the uh you know by the time they're filming like the, the gazebo scene it was so cold that uh, you know i, I think cronenberg said it was the coldest he's ever been while he was filming this um outside Uh, But just the look of all of it, I think, is really good. I love the look of, like, the little girl's room when he's in there. He sees the room burning up. I love the look of the house when he goes to – when they figure out that it's the deputy who is the serial killer and they go into their house. Just kind of like the green, the kind of the awful green throughout that house is pretty awful. Plus, like, his wallpaper is all, like, you know, cowboys and Indians. Like, he's kind of psychologically locked in his childhood. And, uh, and just, and then also, you know, um, they use this kind of Norman Rockwell type of feel for the kind of the town, which, uh, is really highlighted in the giant billboard of Stilson outside, uh, uh, outside of, uh, uh, Walken's house. And I I just, all of that look, I, I think all of it is really nice. And, that for me stands out a little more. Um, the, and and uh, is an interesting side note, the gazebo, they filmed it up in, in Canada in, in uh, was it Niagara on the, on the water or Niagara on the lake is the name of the town. Yeah. And uh, the gazebo, the town didn't want them to build it, but they told them, you know, it's just a movie thing. As soon as we're done, you guys can take it down. And the town, I guess, fell in love with it and it's still there and you can actually go. Uh, hang out in this gazebo that's now become like part of the town history
1: oh that's pretty funny
0: just strange little little tidbit of info but that's you know that's something that's key and then also i i really do actually like the music that michael Kamen wrote for the film i do too it's uh he's not david cronenberg's usual collaborator howard shore is who he usually uses Um, and howard shore was unavailable for this particular project and so he went to michael Kamen and I like it. I mean, it's, it's an interesting score to listen to. It's not, uh, like by itself, it's not as compelling, but in the context of the film, I think it works really well.
1: I do too. I think it, I I think it really does work very well. And it's one of those, uh, Michael Kamen scores that I, that I like, even, even with the hair. (laughs)
0: Even with the hair. Uh, Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it is an, it's a, it's a listenable score in, for the most part.
0: It has some really nice themes. Mm-hmm. It, it does. It really does. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, very sad. There's kind of a sad tone to it that I think fits for this person who's essentially come out of this coma and is lost in time because of the five years he lost, yeah. but also just lost in his place because of this weird ability that he now has, and he kind of separates himself from people.
1: Well, you said it, and it, it, uh, you made me think of, of, you know. Eeyore. I mean, this whole film is sort of the Eeyore of the Stephen King adaptations. <laughs> oh, well, now I see dead people, and then I stepped in poo. You know, I mean, it's just, like, sad. It's just really sad, but not sad in, like, a dramatic way. It's just sad. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, um, Tom, Tom Scarrett I love. I still love Tom, Tom Scarrett even though I made fun of him earlier. I do oh, love him.
0: It's hard to not love yeah. Tom Scarrett He's okay. always great.
1: Colleen Dewhurst. She's mm-hmm. briefly. She's kind of scary.
0: She is creepy. Yeah, she's uh, got that. Uh, I don't know that crazy mom look. That, yeah, she she does well in her part. She I like Anthony Anthony Zerbe. I mean, he's one of those great character actors that you just see in everything. I mean, he still is out there. He was in American Hustle last year. Yeah, uh, you know, he's just a great face, and I, he's great as that rich guy
1: <laughs> you know he really is It's funny that you bring him up because i you know this is one of those rare films where i was actually able to talk my wife into watching with me and and um she watched the the she she missed all but there she got all but the last half hour she got bored and which which maybe is telling um but uh you know the she, she saw him and said wow he looks like the bad guy and even though he's really i mean he's he's not he's you know, he's ultimately not the bad guy. He's not the best dad, makes right. weird decisions, but but he's not a bad guy. But he is a bad guy in so many movies that now I just see him as a bad guy. And I thought that was a funny point. Like he's you know, I, I think I originally was in one of the lethal weapon movies I think he was in. Uh that where I, I think that's where I discovered him as a youth. I don't think he was
0: in Lethal Weapon.
1: What was he in that was uh, not Lethal Weapon 1? um,
0: He was in Steel Dawn. He actually was in The Equalizer for a few episodes. Yeah. That's Um,
1: funny. What was he in? Maybe it was... uh,
0: License to Kill, I think is probably what you're thinking. James Bond.
1: Maybe that was it.
0: Yeah, he was... I can't remember who he was in that.
1: But uh, Milton Crest... Wow, I that maybe it was licensed to kill. Um, well, that's going to make me crazy because I feel like it was something else, uh, not that. Yeah. So I'll have to think on it. Anyway, so he's just he was a, he just looks like a, a bad guy,
0: yeah, or a corrupt
1: does. a corrupt cop or a something.
0: Yeah, generally corrupt, always corrupt something official. corrupt. Yeah. yeah, you know what his first film was?
1: Uh, Wild Wild West. Cool Hand loop. Dang.
0: <laughs> a little different. Good Man. old Anthony Zerbe and okay, Herbert Lom. Yep. Herbert Lom is great.
1: Yes. Yes. He's he been is. around
0: forever, and uh, gosh, he just uh, he just passed away a couple years ago. But um, he had been in all the Pink Panther movies. Spartacus. He's one of those guys who just was busy. Yes, he was. And, uh, and I like him in this. I mean, he, his part's not huge, but I think he's effective as kind of just the, the doctor, you know? It's, it's a simple part, but I think he works well in it.
1: Yeah. Not a great doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, by standards, in context of what he actually performs, right? Yeah. He's not, not a great doctor, but, uh, (laughs) but he's good in the role. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Anyone else uh, that you uh, that you really that you really love?
0: No, I think that's about it. Although and just an interesting side note, um, the kid who takes the photos at the end in the final uh, climactic uh, scene, assassination attempt, he is actually one of the uh, the Sheen kids. He's one of Martin Sheen's kids. Hmm. He is Ramon
1: Estevez. Keeping it in the family. Ramon Estevez. What else has he been in?
0: Uh, not a lot. I, you know, I, I heard that he hadn't really acted much. I mean, he was in a few little things here and there, but uh, yeah, not much. He really kind of uh, 19 credits. He he uh, he's very off and on. Very off and on. Wow. He's definitely not uh, pursuing it like his brothers are.
1: Huh. Ah, must be a great Thanksgiving at the Sheen house. <laughs> yes. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I, I think, I mean, this is just, I'm, I'm out of stuff to talk about with this film.
0: Yeah. The only other thing that I, I think is worth mentioning in this is that uh, this story is the story that is the introduction to the town of Castle Rock, the fictional town of Castle Rock that Stephen King created in, his, uh, in this novel and then went, went on to have Castle Rock kind of be this consistent town through so many of his stories it kind of created the foundation of it
1: it was castle rock that was was it castle rock that was under the dome and castle rock that was is that is castle rock what we see in like the gunslinger like I early early uh, castle rock i'm sure there are like stephen king listeners out there who are yeah furious are at us for not not a knowing a lot better i, I, I know That's... nothing of the lore and i've been told that i have to read the gunslinger to wrap everything up for me
0: here it is. Let's see. It first appeared in the Dead Zone and has reappeared as late as his 2013 novel Doctor Sleep. Uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it was in. Let's see. Works set in Castle Rock: The Dead Zone, Cujo, The Body, Uncle Otto's Truck, Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, The Dark Half, The Sun Dog, Needful Things, It Grows on You. And then, if you look at works referring to Castle Rock, the list is very large, including Creepshow.
1: That's true. Yeah. All right.
0: Under the dome refers to Castle Rock. So it is a very, very uh busy town in the world of Stephen King.
1: Fantastic. hmm How'd it do? How did it perform?
0: It did okay. It uh it wasn't as popular as uh Cujo this year. It um let's see, it made it cost ten million dollars to make at the time. And I think Cujo was, what, $8 million? So it cost—they had a little more money with this one. Shot it up in Canada, so I imagine their uh, dollars may have gone a little farther. And uh, it ended up making uh, adjusted profit. It ended up making about $25 million adjusted profit. And cujo is at uh, almost thirty one million, so adjusted profit per finish minute for the dead zone was about two hundred and forty four thousand dollars per finish minute, so you know it it made its money, it did its job uh film business was able to keep on trucking because of this and uh, <laughs> <it> was... <laughs>
1: You may be putting just a little bit <laughs> too much weight. Uh, Maybe maybe. I I find it so interesting that the that Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 90 percent fresh I I am uh, I find it fascinating that people like this movie as much as they do
0: this This is is, very it it is a very popular Stephen King movie it's I, I shouldn't say popular but it is a very well reviewed Stephen King movie.
1: It's a it to me it's another one of those Casablanca films, you know. It's and and I love Casablanca. It's that it's that whole, you know, you detest me or do you despise me, don't you? Well, if I gave you any thought, I probably would. Uh I I'm going to forget this movie as soon as we're done with this show and probably not think of it all that fondly. Maybe not despise it, but I'm sort of done with it.
0: Well, and and I think my tack with this one would be a little bit opposite where i I think i'm the same i am going to forget it right away because that's what i always do but i think i will think of it a little more fondly and if it's on again i yeah i mean i'll probably watch it but it's nothing that i would seek out again all
1: right all right fair enough let's rank it Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You can friend us up there and see if your uh, you know, the films that you love line up with the films that we love. That's our big stack rankings over there. Now, we got 150-some-odd mm-hmm. films, One hundred and fifty more than 150 films.
0: This will make 152.
1: Exactly.
0: Let's do it. Let's do the it. The Dead Zone or Hot Fuzz? Hot Fuzz. Clearly Hot Fuzz. The Dead Zone or Taxi Driver? I would do Taxi Driver. uh, Are you ready? I'm ready. I would do Taxi Driver. There you go. (laughs) The Dead Zone or Major League? I'd do Major League. I would, too. The Dead Zone or The Blob?
1: I'd probably do The Dead Zone.
0: I think I would, too. The Dead Zone or Labor Day?
1: Huh. I think you're going to go Labor Day. Uh, yeah, I,
0: I, I'm a little torn on this one. I could go either way, but I, maybe I'll go Labor Day. I think
1: I. think I think I had a lot of problems with Labor Day. Yeah, you did. Well, I think I'm going to have to ring in Labor Day, though.
0: All right. The Dead Zone or Key Largo? Key Largo. Bogie and Bacall. All right. Give it to them. The Dead Zone or We're No Angels?
1: Uh, We're No Angels. I would do We're No Angels, too. The Dead Zone or Christmas in Connecticut? Aw. Uh, so sweet. I would do Christmas in Connecticut. Me, too. All right.
0: There you are. 143 out of 152.
1: <laughs> That's an interesting ranking for this film that you know we just don't think of
0: i i walked into this thinking that i would have it much higher in my uh in my esteem but then after watching the film again i'm like nah Meh. yeah Meh is 143
1: that's what yep. we know yeah all right uh hey good talk but where do we go from here
0: well we're going to uh continue king in 1983 the big year for him and we're going to jump into John Carpenter's Christine.
1: Now, see, that one's got a 65% fresh on at Rotten Tomatoes.
0: And what do you bet we like it more? I'm,
1: I'm going <laughs> to bet a lot.
0: Yeah. You know what's interesting? Stephen King, when he um, was kind of... Uh, I can't remember if he was the, at the time when he was writing for Entertainment Weekly, but it was around the time that he may have started writing for entertainment weekly he did a uh, a breakdown at the time when um, the green mile came out back in 99 i believe of his 10 favorite adaptations of films of that, of, that have been adapted of his uh, of his films and cujo was on that list of his 10. christine was on that list of 10. the dead zone was not on that list <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, yes. It was uh, the Green Mile, The Shawshank Redemption, Storm of the Century, uh, Cujo, Misery, Stand by Me, and uh, The Stand. Dolores Claiborne, Christine, and Pet Cemetery.
1: Dolores Claiborne.
0: I really like Dolores Claiborne. Yeah,
1: I was going to say that. I think I have fond memories of that. Yeah. Interesting.
0: We can touch on that one in another in Stephen another King series. Stephen down the
1: road. King All right. Hey, this was uh, this was good. I'm, uh, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over it.
0: Yeah, I hear you.
1: I think our conversation was better than the film.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: I'll remember it always. <laughs>
0: Whereas the film, that's... probably not. I'm gonna go to bed. I'm gonna go into the dead zone. Okay, so I've got one uh, three-star review by True Crime Reader who says it's okay. I bought this movie because it was the only Stephen King movie I didn't have. What does that say about True Crime Reader? I have to say, because there's some real <laughs> stickers in there. <laughs> it was okay. I think a man would like it more that I did. <laughs> <laughs> not quite sure what True Crime Reader is saying (laughs) there. A
1: man uh, would like it more than I did. (laughs) What does that even mean? I don't know. This guy was real gone for five years. He was in a coma for five years. He wakes up thinking the nurse's little girl is in a fire. He took a wrong tour somewhere. That's like uh, almost a haiku. (laughs) Feels like
0: it. Wow. Uh, I'm not sure if they finished watching the movie. (laughs) (laughs) You took a wrong tour somewhere.
1: And scene.
0: Okay, we're going to do a little game. I'm going to name a series from season four, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations.
1: Didn't we just do this in season three? We're going to do this
0: one as a speed round. Here we go. Terry Gilliam. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Jason Reitman.
1: Labor Day. Comedy by the Brothers Cohen. Oh, brother. Stephen King. Ah! Oh, uh, The Shining. Uh, Cujo. The Dead Zone. App People, Misery. Stand by me. What else did we cover? Oh, you got one more on Audible carpenter? Ah, Christine! Christine! (laughs) you got it. We've covered lots of great movies that started as books, and most of those are on Audible. Books like The Exorcist,
0: Requiem for a Dream, The Bishop's Wife, The Poseidon Adventure,
1: Syriana, Million Dollar Baby, L.A. Confidential, Double Indemnity, Detour, The Thin Man. So many great
0: movies from so many great sources.
1: Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time.